Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. In 2017, the Institute for Emerging Issues asked thousands of people across the state to identify the biggest issues facing North Carolina. Now, while many different issues surfaced, there was a common theme. People in North Carolina are feeling more disconnected than ever, and they want to do something about it. So IEI launched a three-year initiative called Reconnect North Carolina, and we're lucky to have the Emerging Issues Institute's director, Leslie Boney, with us today to talk about what they've done and what they've learned so far. And then later in the show, our guest is the Wake County School Board member, Keith Sutton, who has some news that he wants to share with us about his future plans. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. North Carolina used to receive a 10% salary increase for achieving master's degrees, the teachers did. The state legislature eliminated that in 2013. Now there's a new bill with bipartisan support to bring it back, at least for some teachers. Senate Bill 28 would restore master's pay for teachers as long as they get their degree in a subject that they're teaching. Restoring extra pay for advanced degrees was among the messages from the thousands of educators who marched in Raleigh last May. A small private Christian school in Halifax County has been given the green light by the State Board of Education to convert to a charter school. The vote means that Hobgood Academy would receive more than $2 million a year in state funds, up from the $37,800 a year it gets now through the state's private school voucher program. Now, Hobgood Academy was one of the dozens of private academies that sprang up in the state after the courts ended school segregation. Hobgood, Hobgood has historically enrolled about 95% white students in a county that's only about 40% white. School leaders say the need, they need the money that comes from being a charter school to remain viable. Finally, a school safety commission created by Governor Roy Cooper following last year's school shooting in Parkland, the anniversary is actually this week, is recommending that every school in North Carolina have an armed pol uh, police officer or school resource officer on campus. The report says that if permanent funding isn't deemed viable, then the state should push the issue in elementary schools first. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State has launched a new three-year initiative called Reconnect North Carolina, and this week, hundreds of people convened in Raleigh, myself included, to focus on reconnection between rural and urban areas, and joining us to talk about the initi initiative is my friend Leslie Boney, the director of the Institute. Thanks for being here, Leslie. Thanks, Keith. Glad to be here. Well, you had a great turnout um, uh, this week um, uh, here in Raleigh. I think you had more than 500 people there, so it was, it was was great. Now, but I got to say, though, you already messed up my title for the show <laughs> right off the bat because I'm sitting in the audience and I had already planned to, to call this show the rural urban divide. And you stood up and you just said, I've been to 23 conferences that said that we were focusing on the <laughs> rural urban divide and we're going to talk about connection. So I think now we have called it the just exploring rural North Carolina. But, but tell me a little bit about sort of your history and, and sort, of, sort of how, you know, why you brought that up as sort of, um, I mean, you've been doing, you've, you've been going to a lot of conferences around this topic, so sort of what's the background on that? Yeah, as you said, there are a lot of people who talk about the rural-urban divide, and it's not that there are not differences between rural North Carolina and urban North Carolina, but 
we know that there are some urban areas that are struggling, there are some rural areas that are succeeding, and more importantly, we know that the success of North Carolina over the long term is going to depend on the connections between rural and urban North Carolina. So during the conference, we acknowledged there are differences, but we also acknowledged and tried to celebrate some places that are really coming together and saying, we are interdependent. We are better when we work together. Well, what I liked about it, um, when you, you, I mean, you, you, you guys, I guess you through email and, and also just personal conversations, asking people about the issues, just the fact that both rural and urban um, North Carolinians identified it as a problem is in of itself a positive thing, right? Because it's not like one of them say, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're, there's a division there, but it's cool. We're not really that concerned about it. So that's, that's I guess that's something to, to, to build on. Well, if you think about it, uh, urban areas are highly dependent on rural areas for their workforce. On our website, you can see a, a listing of commuting patterns for each of the counties in North Carolina. And for example, in Charlotte, Every day, 52% of their workforce comes from somewhere outside of Mecklenburg County. And in Durham, it's more than 50% of their workforce comes from somewhere outside Durham County. Those areas really depend on the workers, but also the education systems that prepare those workers in order to be successful. And meanwhile, rural communities, you think maybe they empty out every day and people drive to the urban areas, but a lot of people from urban areas are commuting out. More than half the people in Durham County are going somewhere else to work. Right. Well, you know, one thing that also you mentioned and some other speakers did too, and we do that with the public school forum, we talk, we talk a lot about school finance. You really also can't look at any county, even though 80 of our 100 counties are you know, classified as rural. The ones that aren't rural are also rural in some areas, and they have some of the same problem. I mean, right here in Wake County where we filmed the show, Mecklenburg County, there are parts that I would still consider rural, and there certainly are areas that are poor. There are certainly ones that have the same um, economic development challenges that have the same, um, you know, opioid crisis issues that are going on. They have the same educational opportunity issues. So that's another thing I think that is, was it was I think was, that it was a takeaway for me from your conference this week is that um, there's no sort of one mo sort of monolithic rural person or urban person or rural county or urban county. And we tried to hit all those issues. Transportation is interdependent. Uh, opioid reduction. There are ideas that both rural and urban areas can come up with together. Economic development, workforce development, cultural resources, all those things are interdependent. They're really important to rural areas and urban areas. There was a quote when I started work on this long time ago. There was this thing called the Rural Prosperity Task Force. And one of our task force members, Tom Lambeth, who you know, uh, uh, had this summarize the whole issue. He said, if there's a hole in one end of the boat, it doesn't matter what end you're sitting in. Yeah, yeah. You know what, and, and it's, it's a great quote, and, and I love Tom Lambeth, but here's one of the things that I, I guess the, the little bit of the skeptic or the cynic in me also says, we've been saying that for 30 years, that we, North Carolina can't exist and prosper and succeed as two North Carolinas yet. I don't know, I don't, sometimes I don't feel like that they're words, but that it we're really not Real, ready to do the, the work that's need to be done. I mean, Eastern North Carolina is, you know, if you were to cut, you know, you know North Carolina down I-95 and make, you know, that part of the state the 51st state of the country, it would be the poorest state in the country and the most unhealthy state in the country. But that's been like that for, for two decades. I think there are two ways of getting at that. The first is to recognize that uh, if you have a rural area that's 
not succeeding, that hurts an urban area. Um, that you really don't have the workforce that you need if your education systems, for example, don't work as well in rural areas. Urban areas are not going to get what they need. So that's the, uh, it, it's in your mutual self-interest to care about it. The other thing we tried to do in the forum, though, was to try to lift up examples of places that are actually doing it. Right. So it's one thing to talk about the theory of it. What we tried to do was lift up five places that are doing the work of recognizing how economic development systems, workforce development systems, food systems, and education systems uh, come together for mutual benefit. So we're trying to lift up not just the theory, but the reality of places that are proving that this actually works. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you because, I mean, we can talk about the problems, but what are the solutions? I mean, uh, you had written another piece uh, recently uh, that was excellent about, you kind of identified some things that you thought you know, what were some common things that might sort of bring us together was around the issues like, you know, uh, uh, businesses need talent and workers. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Sort of what, sort of what is your thought on those um, things that could truly make these, um, make us recognize and, I don't know, take advantage of the um, um, opportunity to work together? Well, here's an education example. Southeastern North Carolina has a challenge in that there are not as many STEM workers. Um, science, technology, engineering, math workers uh, in that area as Wilmington wants, which is the big city in southeastern North Carolina, but there also aren't enough to support Sampson County, um, not enough to support Duplin County. And Wilmington, UNCW, has some real strength in producing STEM students out of college, but the recognition is that it's not just the universities that have a responsibility for STEM students, it's James Sprunt community college. It's Sampson County schools that have that responsibility. So those folks are coming together under a program called STEM Scenic, STEM Southeastern North Carolina, and saying, okay, what does it look like from uh, middle school to high school to community college to universities to get someone to be convinced that STEM could be a discipline that a set of disciplines that they could be interested in. The, you mentioned the, 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 community co the community college. I mean, we had Peter Hans on a few weeks ago. I mean, the community colleges are really a critical part of this, right? The university system, I mean, we're so blessed in this state. I mean, they are really, between those two, the state universities, and, and I don't want to, you know, uh, leave out the private colleges too. We have a great infrastructure of that, but there are, you know, there are economic barriers, there's college affordability barriers, but that's, um, we've, got some, we've got some pretty good tools to work with, right? Yeah. Uh, President Hans and Chancellor Woodson from NC State came together that evening after the forum was over to talk with legislators about a new pilot partnership they have designed to allow students to gain dual admission to rural community colleges and NC State. You go for a couple of years, you save money, it costs less, you get to live at home, you get to live close to where you are, and then you transfer with full credits and can get those things that NC State can uniquely offer. So the student saves money and gets to live closer to home and still gets the chance to benefit from a world-class uh, four-year university. Well, that's a great option. Well, as we wrap up, well, tell me about what's coming next and like, just give our viewers, they can go to your website and we'll make sure we have it on our, our website so they can get to it. There's more um, uh, conferences coming up over the next uh, year and a half, right? The broad issue that we're working on over a three-year period is this notion that we need to reconnect in a lot of ways. So we started off in Asheville talking about the importance of civic 
reconnection. In Charlotte in October, we're going to be talking about the importance of connecting to career opportunities. So we'll be talking a lot about community colleges and the role they can play in helping people break through the skills barrier that holds them at a particular income level to get the next level of skills that's going to enable them to compete for better jobs in a middle class living. Great. Well, we're going to definitely be uh, watching and uh, enjoy what you're doing. And again, thanks for coming on. I was on your uh, podcast a few months ago, so now this is our crossover episode. So thanks, Leslie. I appreciate it. Thanks. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, current Wake County School Board member Keith Sutton, who wants to share with our education viewers some news about his future plans. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. From 2006 to 2016, overall enrollment in North Carolina's 115 traditional K-12 school districts increased by 5%. How did rural district enrollment change in the same period? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly guess C? Between 2006 and 2016, enrollment in North Carolina's rural districts actually declined 6% compared to a 5% increase in our state's urban metro districts. One of those districts that did see big increases is Wake County school and we're, uh, Schools, and we're honored to have friend of Education Matters, Keith Sutton, on the show today. I, I've mentioned that he... Uh, uh, served, uh, currently serves on the uh, Board of Education for Wake County. You've been on the show before talking about, I think last time we were talking about discipline disparities issues and things like that. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be back. But we're going to, I think we're going to break some news. First time on Education Matters, I think you, uh, you have something you wanted to share with me and the, and the people watching the show. Absolutely, absolutely. I am happy and excited uh, to announce that I am a candidate for State Superintendent of Public Instruction here in North Carolina. So you're going to be, uh, so you're, uh, you're a Democrat, so you are right now, you will be entering the uh, Democratic uh, primary, which is slated for March of 2020, which is why we are, I mean, believe it or not, it, it, just a little over a year away. So, um, uh, so, and then we, and at this point, I guess we don't know exactly who, um, you know, if whether State Superintendent Mark Johnson will run for re-election or who that will, but you'll be already a fairly crowded field. So. Let me ask you, um, uh, and I do want to get some biographical information about you. Uh, obviously, you're, you're not here as a Wake County School Board member. I mean, you're, you're a, an education consultant. Uh, you spent some time, you worked for Best and C. You spent, you've got 20 years of experience. I mean, I got to know of you, you know, in a lot of your um, sort of social justice and, and public service roles with the North Carolina NAACP, the Triangle Urban League. I mean, that's kind of been your for me, how I see your sort of your passion and things that you've been working on. But my first question to you is what I think every candidate needs to answer. Why do you want to be state superintendent of public instruction? Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm glad to, to be back on the show. Um, I've been an advocate, as you, as you mentioned, uh, for years working in minority communities, being a voice for those that don't have a voice. I worked as state director for the NAACP. I worked with the Triangle Urban League, started a National Urban League affiliate here and ran that for years. And so at that time, did a lot of advocacy work around education issues and policy issues. Uh, I've also uh, done a lot of political uh, and, and uh, government work. I worked with Congresswoman Eva Clayton, helped her get reelected uh, back in 1998. Uh, I worked on Governor Perdue's campaign helped her become the first female governor of North Carolina. So I've worked at the intersection of 
education and policy. And that was how I got to the Wake County Board at that time. We were embroiled in uh, trying to make sure that we kept our schools healthy and balanced and used education policy to help improve schools and improve the community. Yeah, you actually joined, um, um, were elected to the uh, school board in, two, uh, I guess, what, 2008, 2009. 2009 is when you joined. There was a little bit going on. There was a lot of, lot of discussion around, um, well, there was growth and there was a lot of reassignment. That was the thing Absolutely. that was really, I had, you know, my daughter was in the schools then. There was a lot of, you know, angst about how much reassignment, but there was also some pride in the diversity of Wake County schools and had been held up as a model. And so you've kind of been through that back and forth of, of yeah. like, you know, that's something that you share with me, some of your platform, and you definitely have talked about schools being a microcosm of society. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, this is, in some ways, it's been a depressing, depressing month when, uh, when it comes to issues of race and issues of uh, sort of where we, where we are and where we're not yet. Um, um, and you talked about underperforming schools. So talk to me a little bit about that whole notion of how do you serve every child, black, white, well, Latino? I, I think the, the state superintendent sits at the intersection of policy and, and our schools and, and, and education uh, and works with the state board of education and works with the general assembly to implement education policies that best serve students, that best serve families, and that best serve communities. I think I have the experience uh, being on the board in Wake County, the largest school district in the state, 16th largest in the country. I've been on the board almost 10 years, so I have that experience. I have the commitment. I believe that every child should come to school ready to learn. I think that every child can learn and be successful. I think that every community, uh, rather rural or urban, uh, should have good schools. Uh, uh, and so I also believe, and I've also been a leader. Uh, I've served as chair of the Wake board, vice chair, currently serve as vice chair. Uh, now I've been president of the state. Uh, caucus of uh, black school board members. Uh, I've worked alongside some of our state's best superintendents, several of those who have been state superintendent, national superintendent uh, of the year. So I have the experience, I have the commitment, I have the leadership uh, to lead this state and, and put us back on a plan and trajectory where North Carolina is seen as the best state in the country for education. All right, let's talk about some issues. Um, is our state doing uh, enough and doing right by our teachers? We can do more. Uh, we, we, we need to continue uh, raising the salary uh, of our teachers. We need to do more to continue to elevate uh, the profession of, of teachers. We need to pay principals more. Uh, our principals and our teachers are the first and second biggest impact when it comes to student achievement and making sure that students, again, are ready to learn. So we can do more uh, in that regard. We can do more to help uh, some of our struggling schools, making sure that schools in urban communities, in Raleigh, in Charlotte, because we have a tax base, because we have, or we are an affluent county, those shouldn't be where our best schools are. We need to make sure that our schools in the northeast corner, in Northampton County, in Sampson County, in Bladen or Dufin County, in the western part of the state, those communities have strong schools just like our schools in uh, urban communities. There's more that we can do around social emotional health and making sure that uh, social emotional learning and making sure that all kids again are coming to school ready to learn regardless of uh, and they're in a homeless situation, whether they uh, have substance abuse issues or what have you, if they're hungry, if they don't have clothes on their back, we need to make sure that all kids are coming to school 
ready to learn. So there's more that we can do, particularly around our teachers, our administrators, uh, and just conditions of our schools. Well, let me talk to you about um, another issue, school choice. Um, sitting here um, on the uh, school, Wake County School Board, this is one of the fastest growing areas in terms of uh, new charter schools. Just this week, three new charters were recommended by the Charter Advisory Board. They don't have to, you know, the school, state board still has to approve them. That would draw lots of students from Wake County. They're all, these three schools are all run by um, for-profit charter companies. Um, you got um, sort of where do you come down on the issue of school choice and how that should fit into the landscape of public education and public schools? You know, I think charters uh, uh, and school choice, they're part of the public school system. They're part of the education uh, landscape. Uh, I think they're here to stay. Uh, but I think we can do more to level the playing and level the playing field uh, between charters and our uh, uh, traditional public schools. Uh, if the traditional public schools had the same level of flexibility uh, that charters had, uh, they could be. Like, we've uh, heard that from supers we've had on the show. Uh, calendar flexibility, yeah, calendar uh, flexibility, the fiscal length of flexibility, the day, uh, hiring, and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, our funding, the way that we fund charters, needs uh, improvement. Uh, uh, the, the charters often siphon funds from uh, our traditional uh, public schools. Uh, um, I, I think that our charters should get back to it. We, we need to make sure that our charters really are doing what the original intent. Uh, of, of the charter bill was not to make sure that charters were incubators of innovation uh, and how we uh, develop academic success and then scale up those innovations into the traditional public schools. All right, quickly for a last word, I mean, if you were to win the de Democratic nomination, um, um, how would uh, Keith Sutton be a different state superintendent than, than the current superintendent, Mark Johnson? What do you, what do you want to find? I mean, I got, I'm, like, I'm going to ask. I mean, you're, sure. if, you're, if you're running, you've got to think that you, if everything was cool, you'd be fine with, with the way things are. Why do you think you would be different? Well, one, I think that I'm a fighter. Uh, again, I've got the experience. Uh, I've got the know-how. I've got the commitment uh, to lead uh, the 115 school districts uh, that are here in North Carolina. The state superintendent sets the conditions uh, for success. I don't, I don't supervise the superintendents. Uh, I lead or, or would lead those superintendents across the state uh, to improve their districts, to understand and interpret how state policy uh, informs the work at, at their level. Uh, and so, uh, again, I think with the experience that I have, uh, the commitment that I have, uh, the leadership uh, that I bring, uh, I think I was trying to bring a new day uh, to the Department of Public Instruction and to education right. in North Carolina. Well, thank you for coming on Education Matters and making some news. Um, and again, I always congratulate and thank everyone who puts their name out there to run. I think it's not an easy thing to do, so thank you for doing that, Well, Keith. thank you. Glad to be here. Glad All right, here. after the break, this week's final word. It was great having Leslie Boney on this week. As we discuss, yes, there are differences that divide and exist between rural and urban parts of our state, but I do think sometimes the gaps are not nearly as big as we perceive. I mean, we all know the stereotypes, right? Everyone who lives here in Raleigh or Durham voted for Hillary Clinton, works at a tech company or a marketing agency, drinks double skinny lattes and drives to work in a Prius or maybe on a bird scooter. And of course, everyone who lives in rural North Carolina loves Donald Trump, works in farming and drives to work on a, in a F-150 and has never known the joy of a peppermint mocha. Now, these stereotypes aren't accurate and they certainly shouldn't pass for a real understanding of rural and urban North Carolina. 
I think one really important thing we all do care about is our children. Um, I've told a few people recently that I am feeling more optimistic when it comes to state education policy this legislative session. And it's not because I think that's only possible if more Democrats are elected like what happened last November. That's not true at all. I think there can be and should be a working majority that believes in public education regardless of what party is in the majority. So while I admit to being pessimistic about the state of things at times, for now, I am planning on being an optimistic pessimist. So that's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.